I've already laughed and cried because of Chris Beer and been lifted up by music and prayer here in this place. And I know, I trust that the apex of this worship service today will be at the communion table where we read the list of names of those saints of light who have gone before us this year. But for just a moment, we turn to love and to 1 Corinthians and to this work of integrity. So here from St. Paul, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Please pray with me. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. In this way, love is heroic. Love stands tall. Love swims upstream. Love does what is right, even when what is right is hard. Love faces death and does not flinch. Love has integrity. Love is a verb, and in a troubled world, love is hard to do. If 1 Corinthians 13 is St. Paul's variegated painter's palette of definitions of love, then the rest of Scripture becomes for us a chorus of artists Vincent van Gogh and Claude Monet and Biza Butler and Georgia O'Keeffe painting image after image of what love looks like. And so today we hear from the prophet Daniel to deepen our focus and image of love. Here's how the story goes. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither and the lyre and the harp and the pipe and all kinds of music, if you are ready to lie down, and fall down on your knees and worship the image that I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, if the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, then God will deliver us from your hand. But even if God does not deliver us, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Holy wisdom, holy word. What a strange and beautiful text for All Saints Day. It works perfectly insofar as those saints of light that we have loved have lived with integrity. 
taking at times radical and necessary risks for the sake of their own ethical benchmark. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not their original names, of course, but names given to them by the Babylonian Empire, were displaced persons, deportees, prisoners of war, people of the exile brought to Babylon against their will after the siege of Jerusalem by King Nebuchadnezzar. In an earlier part of the story, they were spared from the king's anger by the book's namesake, Daniel. And now, inevitably, they are back in the grip of Nebuchadnezzar's frothing rage and this time about to be thrown into the furnace. They could back down. They could placate this monarch, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know that there is no winner's circle with this megalomaniac. He eats illusions of grandeur for breakfast. He takes egotism pills with his afternoon snack. For this king, there is no room for humility, no time to delight in what is good. If they back down now, if they surrender, there is a good chance that they'll be back in the king's clutches within a fortnight. There is no pleasing him. There is always one more power grab, one more threat, one more chance to belittle and, and deride and criticize. Did you know that the CDC recognizes a childhood growing up with someone like this, like Nebuchadnezzar, can lead to chronic health problems? Nebuchadnezzar is a supervillain extraordinaire, a cartoonish composite of every bad leader and demagogue and tyrant ever to grace the history books. And yet we know this character in spades. In his book, Awe, the New Science of Everyday Wonder, uh, Dasher Keltner suggests that horror and awe are adjacent emotions that it is possible to be astonished and in awe of the depravity of a human being like Nebuchadnezzar, or in awe at the awful conditions of our social horrors and hierarchies like the ones Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego face. By facing Nebuchadnezzar, by not backing down, the three are rendering chaotic violence powerless. They are rendering chaotic violence powerless. If they are not afraid of death, this king has nothing. He is impotent and vulnerable and paralyzed. And so we are in awe of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego because, in part, we suspect that in the face of such raw power and violence, we might melt. Who would willingly put that fiery furnace to the test? But we know the answer to that, too. It's in our history books. Fanny Lou Hammer, Rosa Parks, Sojourner Truth, Martin Luther King Jr., Oscar Schindler, Nelson Mandela. I love the name of honor more than I fear death, says Shakespeare's Brutus. It is hard to read Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego without conjuring up those, li those live historical contexts in which tyrants and oppressors have brought unspeakable suffering upon those who are different. 
we can't help but remember those saints of light who, like Paul, do not delight in evil and thus risk their lives in order to rejoice in the truth. German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer stood up to this same kind of imperial power, and the Nazis sent him to prison for two years before executing him in a concentration camp just two weeks before liberation. Decades earlier, when his brothers caught wind that Bonhoeffer wanted to become a pastor, they chided him, saying, religion is a distraction from the urgent work of promoting equity and human rights. And we get it. We hear this message from his brothers. Howard Thurman, pastor to the Civil Rights Movement, put it, puts it this way, Many and varied are the interpretations dealing with the teachings and life of Jesus of Nazareth, but few of these interpretations deal with what the teachings and the life of Jesus have to say to those with their backs against the wall, to those who need profound succor and strength to enable them to live in the present moment with dignity and creativity. Christianity, he says, has often been sterile, and of little avail. Bonhoeffer's year of studying theology abroad in New York City solidified his understanding of the world from the perspective of those who have their backs against the wall. As a student at Union Seminary, Bonhoeffer befriended Albert Franklin Fisher, an African-American student who welcomed Bonhoeffer into Harlem in the 1930s and the Abyssinian Baptist Church where Bonhoeffer saw for himself the racial inequalities and indignities of the United States. From 1930s Harlem, he saw how the church failed at integration, playing its own part in the architecture of racism. Because of his experience in New York City, when Bonhoeffer returned to Germany, his voice was first among the rejection of the Nazi regime, especially the church's complicity. He taught at a confessing seminary, a religious institution forced to close by the Gestapo in 1937 and declared illegal. So we get it. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego suggest that God might save them from the fiery furnace, it is less a story about faithful people challenging God, but instead a story about people with their backs against the wall challenging empire challenging the systems in, of injustice because love does not delight in evil. While Nebuchadnezzar finds power in threatening and oppressing, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego direct their worship to the one who stands with those who have their back up against the wall. As Bonhoeffer puts it, this kind of faith stands or falls with its revolutionary protest against violence, arbitrariness, and pride of power, and with its plea for the weak. Only our suffering God can help. It is by trusting in the love of God who suffers with us that these three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, can face the furnace together, not knowing what will happen, if they will survive or not. Simply put, they were, with their acts of resistance, declaring with St. Paul that love does not 
delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. This kind of love is in each of us. It is innate. It is necessary. It is possible. Love is primary. Love is practical. Love is permanent. This is how Richard B. Hayes sums up 1 Corinthians 13. Love is primary. Love is practical. Love is permanent. Love is permanent, and yet still we are mortal. On this All Saints Day, I feel that tension. Without love, there is no grief, says Amy Hollywood. Or maybe, she says, without grief, there is no love. Amy Hollywood's great-grandmother died of what they called at the time acute melancholia. She died of a broken heart after her husband and brother and more than one of her children died in quick succession. And so Amy Hollywood wonders what would have made it otherwise. And here's what she believes. She says that for her, the ones we refuse to lose are the ones that enable us to live. In other words, as we hold dear those we have lost, they help us live again. Is that true for you? The ones we have lost help us in their own way to live. Weeks and months and years and decades later, the grief is somehow raw and whole again. And yet, they are the ones who carry us through. Maybe grief is so meandering and serpentine because love is so deeply embedded within us. It's this way, I think, all over the place. The Beatles released their last song on Thursday. Now and then, they call it. It was some 40 years ago that John Lennon died, and yet they refused to lose him. And there he is, even now, enabling them to live. His three friends from Liverpool joined him on Thursday for a final little lost love song with George II singing across the veil now as much as John did. Maybe you heard this story. In the years between the Beatles' breakup and John's death, John kept making music. And then in 1994, many years after John's death, when Yoko Ono and Paul were brought together for John's induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, she brought Paul a few cassette tapes, recordings of John's last never-released songs, This little cassette set off a chain reaction where Paul brought Ringo and George together in 1995 to record with those old tracks of John's. But the tech at the time couldn't scrub away the background noise, and so this song was shelved, languished in the cupboard, Paul said. Fast forward another quarter century, even after losing George to lung cancer and Technology finally caught up with the Beatles' vision. Peter Jackson, of Lord of the Rings fame, invented some new audio restoration method, and there was John's voice, crystal clear. It was as if he was there, Ringo said. John, singing, I know it's true, it's all because of you. 
And if I make it through, it's all because of you. Grief is circuitous, serpentine. We make it through because we have these loved ones to walk the way with us, just visible, though they are beyond the veil. And we stand in awe at the ways they loved us, in awe of the ways they lived their lives, in awe of the risk they endured, in awe of the love they carried. May we live by the love of the saints of light. May they carry us through. Amen.